0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is Monday, October 24th, 2022, and I am delighted to be with you this morning. Thank you all so much for your prayers, for your kind words, um, for all of your support, as I have been gone the last couple of weeks to Namibia. Now, if you're wondering where Namibia is, it is just above South Africa. If you're wondering why I've been gone, it's because I was sent to represent the ARP, which is the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, my denomination, at the International Conference of Reformed and Presbyterian Churches. I think there were um 29 other members there, so 30 of us that are members, and I think there were seven other groups represented. So 37 different, <coughs> excuse me, Reformed and Presbyterian denominations. We came together to talk about all sorts of things like seminary education to talk about how we can come together and aid Christianity in places where it is booming. And it is. You know, sometimes we look at the United States and we become so insular that we think about Christianity being really rooted in the Western, in Western civilization. And, and the West is still the center of Christianity. However, I don't know if something doesn't change within the next 10 to 20 years, you know where the center of Christianity is going to be? It'll be Africa. And the problem is, is that a lot of African ministers have not been trained, and so we have to make sure that Christianity isn't 10,000 miles wide and a half an inch deep. And so we are taking part in efforts to train ministers and all sorts of wonderful things are happening there but I do appreciate your patience with me as I was out of town. I got back Friday night about 10 o'clock. It's a two-day process to get back from Africa. You have to fly about 10 hours north to Europe, and then you get on a plane and fly eight or nine hours west to here. Um, So I got home Sunday night at 10 o'clock, had Presbytery all day on Saturday. Yesterday, had the profound honor of not only preaching at Old Providence, my church, but then taking part and conducting the ordination and installation service of our former pastoral intern, James McDougall, who is now the pastor at Edgemont ARP Church over in Covington, Virginia. And so today, um, I'm also on the road. Maybe you're wondering why I'm wearing a sport coat. It's so that I can pray, upload, and then hit it to Greenville, South Carolina, because I have an extremely important meeting this afternoon there for the denomination, and then I'll get back in the car, and I'll just come right back home, and Lord willing, I'll be seated right at this table tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., um, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, because sleep is for the weak, right? I'm just kidding. I'll catch up on sleep at some point, but I do appreciate your patience. Welcome back to you, whether you are here live right now with me, <coughs> excuse me, at 7 a, well, 7:03 a.m., well, 7.03 a.m., October 24th, or maybe you'll be here some other time. Whenever it is, I'm happy that we are together. Now, we are in John chapter 12. We are making our way through John, and uh, what we just finished with, of course, is chapter 11. We saw the amazing account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, but then we saw the aftermath and that the Pharisees have gone from uh, we don't really like Jesus and he uh, needs to be discredited as a teacher. Maybe we can catch him in a trap. Maybe we can fool him into saying the wrong thing. Maybe make him look like he doesn't know what he's doing or discredit him as a teacher or a prophet. Gone from that, uh, Jesus has got to go. You know, it's not that any of his other signs were minor. Healing a man born blind from birth, you know, all of these things, uh, driving out demons, amazing things, y'all, feeding thousands with just a few loaves and fish, all incredible things. But raising a man from the dead, Mm, a man that had been in the tomb for four days, as his sister Martha said, Lord, he stinketh. Jesus rose him from the dead, Y'all, the Pharisees knew they had to do much more than just discredit Jesus at this point. They knew they had to kill him. And so we see the plotting taking place. However, um, they were not able to do so because it was not his time. Now, where we're picking up today is in chapter 12. And if you know the chapter numbers of John, you know, we're getting close. We're getting really close. But where we come to today is a little bit confusing. However, once again, we see pure devotion. And we see a priority or a lesson on priorities. So let's pray and we'll dig in. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. I praise you for everybody that is here, whether live or sometime later. What an honor it is that you have given me to have this time. I pray that you would bless us all in it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us so that we would understand and not get caught up in, in, in logistics and, and and things that to our Western eyes seem odd about your word. Help us to understand your Bible for what it is. Please guide us. And we pray it in Christ's name and by the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So we're in John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read, but then I'm going to address something. It says, John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. All right, pause. Now, Two things. Number one, if this is your first time joining us, you may say, what's the big deal? This is the account of Mary anointing Jesus' feet, right, or anointing Jesus, washing his feet with her hair. What's the big deal about this? You might also say that if you're not familiar with John chapter 11. But we have what some consider a major problem here, especially when you take into account the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the problem comes here. So, in John chapter 12, we just read about Jesus being anointed by Mary. And yet, at the beginning of John chapter 11, it says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother was Lazarus, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord. And wiped his feet with her hair. Now, do you see what's going on here? Do you see why some consider this a major problem? Allow me to complicate the situation even further. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not only do they have this anointing in different places, they also talk about Simon the leper being present. Simon the leper was, of course, one of the characters that we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so it makes you kind of say, what's going on here? Is the Bible contradicting itself? I should point out that first and foremost, this is one of those occurrences in God's word that people look at and they say, oh, well, obviously the Bible is either A, contradicting itself, or one, contradicting itself, or two, they use this to point to their theory of who actually wrote the Gospels. Perhaps you remember, but very early on, we talked about not only the dating, like when they say that the gospel according to John was written, but we also talked about who wrote it. Now, if you believe that the Bible says what it means and means what it says, you know that the apostle John wrote this. And we take the Bible at its word because God has preserved it, right? But if you want to complicate things, you get into all these theories, and, and one of them is that there was this Johannine school that wrote the gospel according to John. In other words, this group of John's disciples, long after John had died, they wrote the gospel according to John. And, you know, it never ceases to amaze me how, again, number one, people will devote their lives to studying a book that they don't believe is true. That's a side note. But number two, these scholarly types, y'all, their wisdom and knowledge knows no end right? I am amazed at how smart these people think they are and how stupid they think people from the past are. You know, if there is some Johannine school that wrote the gospel according to John, don't you think that they would have said, all right, listen, before I turn this thing in, maybe look over it with your eyes. If it's a whole group of people, then why would they be contradicting themselves? There's only one simple answer here and it's an answer that perfectly makes sense. One of two things is going on here. Either A, Jesus was anointed more than once, or B, we're reading this with Western eyes, or C, the answer is both. Let me explain. When you and I Now, I I say you and I, I'm presuming that everyone here is Western, and no, I don't mean, you know, with a a, a lasso and a cowboy hat. I'm talking about Western civilization, Europe come to the colonies, that sort of thing, right? In other words, not Eastern, not of the Middle East, not of Oriental, you know, none of those things. We Westerners tend to look at everything in a linear fashion, in a point A to point B fashion right? Where we want to see an introduction, where we want to see the body of a work, and then we want to see a conclusion, and everything just lines up nicely in order. You know, this is a Western concept. As my favorite author put it, (laughs) East is East, and West is West, and never the twain shall meet. We need to read the Bible, or at least in as much as it's possible, try to understand that while the Bible is linear in many places, there are some places where it loops around back on itself. And also, we need to remember that while John is telling the story of Jesus, remember the whole point of this is that he is revealing signs. He is talking about the things that Jesus is doing. And he is under no obligation to write in linear order. Now, that's probably part of what's going on here, but also... Yo, there is no reason on earth for us to conclude that Jesus could only be anointed once. It's just simply not. The reality is is that he could have been anointed multiple times, and John's going to say at the end of the book that if he tried to write down everything that happened, there not enough there's not enough shelf space on all the libraries in all the world to con- to, to contain what happened. So, we need to be careful here. And we don't need to read John chapter 12 as if it is contradicting the beginning of John chapter 11 or as if there's multiple authors writing this or anything like that. Take the Bible for what it is. And take John's message here, what John is trying to do for what it is. So, that being said, let's focus on the content of this. What you have here is the same thing that I referenced back in John chapter 11. You have Mary... Who is not married as far as we can tell, coming to Jesus. They're, they're having a dinner for him. Lazarus is there reclining at the table. Martha's preparing like Martha always does. And then Mary comes and she pours this expensive perfume on Jesus feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I'll bring out the two things. Number one, this sort of expensive perfume. This is not the same as going down to uh, to CVS and picking up a bottle of white shoulders, okay? This is incredibly expensive stuff, pure nard. It was used often enough for preparing bodies for spice uh, spices for preparing bodies. Um Or one of the reasons that women would have owned this was as part of their dowry. So, in essence, what you have here is Mary pouring out her future onto Jesus. She loves him and is devoted to him so much that she recognized the uniqueness of him being there with her. And so, she pours out everything she has for him. But not only does she do that, it says here that she wiped This is verse 3. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Y'all, again, this is something, and I know that, that hair is very important to some of you. It used to be to me, but nevertheless, y'all, we again, we can't just look at this in Western eyes. Was there a certain, dare I say, grossness to this? Yes, because Jesus and his disciples' feet would have been exposed. They would have been very dirty from walking in the dust, all of that. But but don't get hung up on that. Look at the real meaning of this. The real power of this is that a woman in the Middle East 2,000 years ago let down her hair and used it like a rag to wash a man's feet. Y'all, in this part of the world to this day, there are women who never show anyone but their husbands their hair. It is just that serious, and we're 2,000 years later, you dig? The fact that she did this, a woman's hair was considered her glory. She used her glory to wash Jesus's dirty feet. When you put these two together, what do we find from Mary? What we find is devotion pure and simple, what we find is love, that she was willing to pour out her future for Jesus, that she was willing to take her glory and count it as nothing. And what's the result of that? This is what I don't want us to miss. At the end of verse three, we find, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now y'all know, I don't get allegorical here very often. I don't get metaphorical here. The Bible says what it means and means what it says. What does this mean? Well, it means that it smelled nice in the house. But it points to a reality that you and I should not miss, and it's this. When we love the Lord, when we devote ourselves to the Lord, and when we make it known that He is indeed our Savior, though the smell of pure nard, expensive perfume, won't literally fill the air really and truly in a figurative sense, those who love the Lord exude a joy, exude a contentment. Oh, and it's so infectious. Oh, it's amazing. The last two weeks, of course, I spent time, as I mentioned, with representatives from 37 different denominations. Some of them, many of them, came from the United States and North America. Several from Canada, several from the United States. Some of them came from Europe, some from Asia, some from Australia. In fact, four years from now, our next meeting, every four years, is going to be in Korea. But it was the brothers from Africa. It was the brothers from India that their love of the Savior, their joy, as they talked about The things that they had to endure, pastors that would leave their families for months at a time because they couldn't take their families with them to preach because they'd be killed. Some of the Indian brothers talking about the persecution, how radical Hindus, if they found out where they were meeting, they'd come in and they'd try to beat everybody to death. But y'all, the joy that these people had. It's so counterintuitive, right? You know, when life is hard, uh, last night. My wife will tell you this. I lost something. And I looked all over the house and I was just in a huff over it. I went to bed, not angry, but just frustrated because I couldn't find something. And I'm like, goodness, why did I even fill in the blank? Y'all, that's so meaningless. It doesn't matter in the slightest bit. If I have to buy the thing that I lost, it's just money. They print more of it every day, right? But as I lay in bed last night, I I grew convicted. I, I met these brothers. I spent time speaking with them, praying with them. And what I see on their part is no different than what we see here from Mary's part. And no different than what the Lord commands of me. And what I need to work on, what we all need to work on. And that is pure devotion. When you are purely devoted, when you love the Lord, and that is the most important thing to you then you will fill the air with a sweet fragrance as well. It's a thing of beauty. But when you do that, you should expect a reaction to it. And the reaction we see comes from Judas. Verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Wow, that sounds great, doesn't it? Pause there for a moment. It sounds right. You know, in life, we are filled with the hyper-spiritual. That's what Judas is. He is hyper-spiritual. He's evaluating these things. and Oh, Lord, wouldn't it have been much better use if we could have you know, fed it and taken this perfume and sold it and then used it to feed the poor? But we find out why Judas did this. We've already been given the hint. He's the one that betrayed Jesus. But we find out in verse 6, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. There's a lesson here for us, and that is to beware the hyper-spiritual. There's a big difference between being devoted and having the guise of spirituality. There are all sorts of religious people out there that know the right things to say. Here's a term that we use in the biz. We call it a Jesus juke. You know what a juke is? It's when you juke somebody out. There's people that do that with the Lord all the time. Uh, You know, somebody says, well, I wasn't able to make it to church today. And you can say something like, well, I'm glad that Jesus was able to make it to the cross to pay for your sins. Right? That's a Jesus juke. thing makes us sound so spiritual. But y'all, spirituality is the new term of the new age, and it falls flat. Spirituality is nothing without devotion. Mary had it. Judas did not. Jesus knows that. Verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. The difference between Mary and Judas is very clear. Mary knew who Jesus was. Judas didn't even know him. Judas was focused on the hyper-spiritual. And we can do this too. We can focus on the theological correctness and all these things. Focus on what matters. I say that with a heavy heart knowing that I've been super-spiritual too. But I take this as a prompting for myself, and I hope that you'll take it as a prompting for yourself to focus on what matters. And I'm not trying to sound obscure here, but Jesus is what matters. Knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, doing what his word tells you to do, having Jesus as your ultimate end and motivation, seeking to please him, to honor him, cherish him. Don't be a Judas be a Mary. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. And again, I thank you for everyone here. I pray now that you would go with us into this day that lies ahead this week. Help us to be like Mary, to recognize your love, your forgiveness, to revel in your beauty, and to purely devote ourselves to you. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. There's Monica. Yay. I'm I'm glad that you like the pictures. If we're not friends on Facebook, I posted pictures of some of the things I saw. There's Rose. Good morning. And Becky and Christine. Thank you so much. Then there's Alice. Thank you. And niece, I appreciate that. At this point, a, a drive to Greenville, South Carolina is just about five or six hours, just a little down the road. But thank you for that. I do need prayers. And there's Elizabeth. Thank you all so much. Again, Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Until then, I hope you all have a fantastic Monday.